Well, this part of the service is maybe a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Wes and uh, Ben were unable to play today, and so I got the opportunity, which I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, before we begin, <laughs> there's Aaron out there. Hey, Aaron, come on in here. I think you might be the only one here, I'm looking, that's going. We got a couple people going, but I know they're not here today. I think they're already heading there. But you, sir, are going to Camp Union today. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was out there preaching last week. Do you, do you like to listen to me preach? Do you want to sit in here and listen? Yep. You do. Literally the only person in this room who would say that. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you have a good time. When, when are you leaving? Are you leaving later on today? Or do you leave tomorrow? Not sure. Not sure? Okay. Well, I'll bet, I'll bet your mom and dad know, wherever they are. Uh, if not... I'm not sure where they are. Okay. I, if you're my mom. I, they're not here. They're teaching. I think oh. they're in the back. All right, buddy. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to pray over you so that you have a good time, okay? All right. You guys, you want to pray for Aaron? Yeah. You guys want to pray for Aaron? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Father, we thank you so much for Aaron. We thank you for all the rest of the kids that are going to uh, camp this week, Kalia and Kara and Aaliyah and also Michael. Uh, just, just wonderful, just incredible kids, just beautiful, beautiful kids. And so we ask, Father, that, uh, number one, Father, we ask that you will help them to have a good time, help them to have fun while they're there. We ask also, Father, that you help them learn, help them learn how much Jesus loves them and how much they can show other people how much Jesus loves them by how they treat other people. And finally, Father, uh, I don't know if we can put fun and safety together, but we do ask for safety, uh, safety for all of them, uh, that they will uh, enjoy their time, that their, their parents will be... Um, at peace as their, their kids are away, and that they will have a fun and enjoyable and safe time. We thank you so much for Aaron and the rest of the kids that are going. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks, buddy. Uh, it's not. It's styrofoam. Yeah, you can check that out there. See? Give us just a minute. Wait. It does so much Yeah, I know it does. Be careful when you step down, because I tripped over that earlier today. Okay? Go ahead. You, you can go. Thanks, Miranda. Well, that's always fun. It's always fun. Fun for them, probably fun for their parents, uh, you know, being uh, kids being away for a little bit too, uh, but uh, I'm sure they enjoy it. Um, uh, just a couple of things to keep in mind, and, and I didn't talk about this earlier, just we we're moving on with the service, but uh, the church office is going to be closed tomorrow, um, and also next Sunday, uh, Cody will have another round of disc golf out at Mary Rutan Park if you're interested in doing that. It's a lot of fun if you've never done it. Uh, bring the kids. I've never seen somebody out there playing disc golf without a stroller. Um, you, you, you bring the kids, and it's just a slow-paced kind of fun thing to do. And so anybody can try it, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, uh, so please uh, please do, do that next Sunday. In, uh, in every battle or rather every war, I suppose, there is, seems to be a turning point. Some major thing happens, some, some major battle or major moment, major decision, 
and the war begins to shift sides ultimately to the winning side. Now, sometimes the winning side are what we might call good guys. Sometimes the winning side's bad guys. Uh, but it seems like there's these moments. Some are really, really big moments, but others are, are, are quite small that begin to shift the, the uh, tide of war. Uh, you're probably familiar with uh, some of these throughout history. Uh, you know, certainly uh, World War II, uh, you know, the invasion of, of Normandy or the invasion of, of Europe from the Allies, uh, Doolittle's raid on Japan. These were a couple of, of major, major moments that began to shift uh, the outcome of the war. You're certainly familiar with uh, Gettysburg. Uh, you know, the, the Battle of the Civil War. You know, up until that point, the North did not win. I mean, it's just the way it was. Uh, but then after Gettysburg, uh, the, North began to, the North began to win and began to uh, move the Southern Army back into the south of the United States. In the Revolutionary War, uh, it was a couple of moments, but one moment in particular was the Battle of Trenton. And, and we, we recognize uh, probably the description more than the battle, and that was Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh, his troops had very few resources. Most of the troops were barefoot. This was on the 26th of December when they crossed the river. Uh, it was very, very cold, and, and it was just a bad situation. But they were going to attack this garrison at Trenton, uh, occupied by German troops that the that the uh, British were hiring to, uh, to fight for them, occupied by Hesians. And they ended up being ultimately victorious. Now, the original plan sort of fell apart a little bit because of the weather <clears throat> and because of losing some of their equipment and some of their men. Uh, but ultimately, they were victorious. You see, Washington wanted a victory before the end of the year. The reason he wanted a victory before the end of the year is they were losing, and they were losing badly. And they were going to continue to lose unless something happened. You know, they, they, they needed to move. They needed to act. They needed to take the risk. And sure enough, Washington did that on the 26th. He started on the 26th of December. The, the interesting thing <clears throat> about that battle was the Hesians, the, the, the garrison at Trenton, was told that they were coming. They were informed, they were taught, as it were, by numerous people. Even the commander of the garrison knew that an attack, he didn't know who, and he wasn't sure where from, but he knew an attack was coming, it was imminent. He was told, he told others, he was taught, he understood. But then the night of the attack, the garrison decided to pull back, bring back their sentries, bring back their lookouts. The weather was getting bad. They decided to come off the wall. They decided to gather inside of the garrison, even though they'd been told, even though they were taught. Washington ends up defeating this garrison for one reason. They were not prepared. The Hesians were not prepared. The garrison was not prepared. They weren't out watching, looking, moving, testing. They were told. They were taught. There's no excuse for them not to know. 
But even with that knowledge, they were just simply unprepared for battle. And they lost to, frankly, an inferior enemy at the time. Lucky for us, though, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be instructed by your word. We thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to learn, but also to put into practice, to be prepared, to become accustomed to what your word says and and, and what it feels like to live out that word. We ask you, Father, that you help us today, help us to see, to understand. But more than that, help us to make a decision, Father, a conviction in the heart to apply the things that we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We need to be on the lookout, but we need to be in the habit. We need to be in the practice. We need to be prepared for the things that God does in our lives. We need to be prepared to wear this armor that he's giving us. You know, Dad was talking uh, just a few minutes ago really about the pursuit of righteousness. The pursuit of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 says this. We started here last week with our, our armor. Now we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, but we're going to start here. Remember, this is the same lesson that your kids are going to learn. Slightly different level, slightly different delivery, but the same lesson your kids are going to learn. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, stand firm then, all right, that's the goal, stand firm against spiritual attacks, spiritual attacks will destroy you, it will destroy you, it will destroy your mind, it will destroy your heart, it will destroy your family, it will destroy your home, it will destroy churches, stand firm against spiritual attacks, I don't care one whit about your physical strength, I don't care, you shouldn't care either, do you really think Satan fights that way? That's not even his battlefield. His battlefield is the heart and the mind. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We learned last week. This is the thing that holds, holds everything together. It is living out what we profess. Now hopefully what we profess is good, righteous. Hopefully what we profess is Jesus Christ. I got news for you though. Even if you don't profess that, whatever you say, live it out some sort of honor and some sort of integrity, but hopefully your pursuit in life is the truth of Jesus Christ, the belt of truth, the opposite of hypocrisy, buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the breastplate of righteousness. This is a very important piece of armor, and this is what we talk about today. In Roman times, and in Greek times as well, The breastplate was a solid piece of metal or leather that was shaped in the form of a man's torso, a man's chest and his stomach, his his waist area. And then there was a second piece fitted across the back of either leather or metal, and they were attached on the sides by leather strips. I looked and looked and looked for the best picture, and I had it, and it was great, and I realized this morning that I forgot to load it. Uh, so you know, I'm going to have to use your imagination when it comes to these. You've seen them, right? You, you, you've seen these breastplates formed from these old Roman times and uh, certainly even in the day of knights when it comes to the 12 and 13 and 1400s. The front and back were both protecting the person. And that breastplate <clears throat> was pretty obvious 
when you look at knights of the realm and their full armor. They had breastplates as well, completely covering the upper part of the person. Very often in the joust, the lower part of the armor would be attached to the saddle or attached to the horses, but the upper part would go with the knight wherever he went. By 1650, the majority of plate armor that was used by knights was out of use. They didn't put it on. They didn't use it. They didn't dress up in it. They realized that so many of these pieces that were once effective are no longer effective with the change in warfare, except after they've lost it all, there was one piece that they continued to hold on for for hundreds of years later. Believe it or not, this same piece is worn today simply in a different form, and that is the breastplate. The breastplate goes with the soldier. The breastplate is a part of the soldier. It identifies what they are, who they are. They cannot hope to be be victorious without it. It is that important in battle. Now, the breastplate starts as a simple flat piece of steel. Or the breastplate starts as a simple flat piece of leather. But if I want to use that breastplate, if I want to use that covering that protects the heart, it has to be shaped. It has to be formed. It has to be molded. That breastplate is given to you, but it still needs to fit you. And it's only going to fit you with use. I need it strengthened as it gets tempered through fire. More than that, if I am to be an effective soldier, I need to get used to wearing it. It has to become a part of me. You cannot separate me from my breastplate. Otherwise, it just gets cumbersome and I end up taking it off. The simple fact is this, church, certainly as you reflect upon the the directions of Jesus, and you've probably experienced a lot of this in your life if you've walked with Christ for a while. The more we trust, the more we trust, the more we trust. The more we obey, the more we obey. Every time we do that, we see the promises and character of Christ working out and playing out exactly the way he says they will. Now, that's not to say they will play out exactly the way we want, but they're going to play out exactly the way he says they will. Every time we do this, we are strengthening this armor. We are molding this breastplate that protects the vitals. Today, we talk about righteousness. What is righteousness? I want to just try, let's just get this clear in our heads from here on out, okay? The best way to describe it, simplest way to describe it, righteousness is being in a right relationship with with Jesus. That's righteousness. Righteousness is being in a right relationship with God. Before Christ, we are enemies of God, says Paul. But after Christ, we are drawn to God, built into this right relationship, a proper standing with God. That is righteousness. It can only happen through faith <clears throat> and total dependence <clears throat> Excuse me, upon Jesus. There's no other way and nothing else we can add to our faith to obtain righteousness, this right relationship we have with God. 
task. Jesus died so that we could obtain righteousness. Interestingly, the breastplate was typically the most expensive part of armor to make. To acquire it cost the most. Very often, noble knights who have proven their worth, in fact, would get their breastplate as a gift from the king. The king would bestow the breastplate upon the knight because it cost so much. Jesus died for you and I. He bestows upon us a, righteous, a righteousness that we have, a right standing with God. Jesus became sin so we might become the righteousness of God. So righteousness is given to us. It's imparted to us by Christ. It is not something earned. Yet, once received by our trust in Jesus, righteousness is something that we are commanded to live up to. That's molding the breastplate. That's strengthening the breastplate. It is something that we pursue. How do you reconcile this gift of righteousness? See, this is what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Paul's just been talking about basically the bad stuff of the world, the evil stuff of life. He says, you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He says, fight the good fight, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What command? Pursue righteousness. Church, we must not think of pursuit of righteousness as the acquisition of righteousness. Those are two separate things. We acquire righteousness from Jesus Christ. Now, to pursue righteousness is to live up to what you have already been granted. It is to take the breastplate, mold it, shape it, practice with it, and let it become a part of your very self. Let me use an example of, uh, of, of common uh, speech today. You've probably heard or you've probably said to someone in a time of difficulty or hardship, hey, be a man. You ever heard that before? Hey, be a man. Man up. What you're doing is not telling the person to be reborn in some a different gender. What you're saying is, look, you've been given a certain place, a certain status, a certain calling. Now, live up to what you already have. That's what you say when you're saying, hey, be a man or man up. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul's telling Timothy when he says, pursue righteousness. Live up to that calling that you have. Live up to that gift that you have through Jesus Christ. It's a command from Jesus. After all, Jesus says, do not perform your acts of righteousness in front of others to be praised by them, but perform acts of righteousness to be praised by God. Even Jesus himself said, look, this is something you do, all right? You live up to this condition and to this place. The very best way to pursue righteousness, the best way to know that we are pursuing righteousness, this is important, is obedience to the commands of Jesus. That's it. You want to know what it takes? You don't have to listen to a, a whole long list of the different aspects of righteousness to make sure that you're shining up your armor in that proper way. What you got to do, what you have to think about, what you have to read, study, and apply are the commands and character of Jesus Christ. 
That's what it means to live up to righteousness. And your living up to righteousness is not necessarily going to be the same thing as the world uh, determining what, you, what they think is right and wrong in your life, okay? The majority of time you find someone living up to righteousness, they are hated by the people around them. You just have to get that. You have to understand that. Jesus was killed because of this. The disciples were killed because of their righteous pursuit. Paul was killed because of his righteous pursuit. Our job is to obey the commands of Jesus. That's how we know we are pursuing righteousness. That's where the righteous rubber meets the road, as it were. And what was dad saying? You can call yourself a saint. You can call yourself righteous all you want. Eventually, the rubber's got to meet the road. Eventually, you actually have to put on that armor and fight with it, be willing to use it. Righteousness is brought about by Jesus, but that trust has a fruit. John chapter 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Just stop there. See, we, 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 sometimes we read further to try to find a loophole. <laughs> He's not going to give you one. He doesn't give me one. He convicts my heart, I'll tell you that. I can't tell you how many times he's yelled at me and says, John, you know better. What are you doing? Come on. If you love me, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. What is that? It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, Jesus says, they're not my own. This, this comes to me directly from the Father. There's too many people, I think, that profess Jesus and like to walk around in a breastplate that's never been tested, never been tried, never been molded. There's a lot of people in this world today that profess Jesus and walk around without a breastplate completely, never giving their lives over to Jesus, never trusting Christ for our salvation, for our forgiveness of sin. We have a breastplate of righteousness through our trust in Jesus. Obedience is how it is to be worn. It's how it is to be pursued. Obedience is how it is to be strengthened, made secure, and how the breastplate is properly used, living out the commands and character of Christ. I, I, I shudder at the idea, the thought, that so many people have breastplates made of, made of tin foil. And they think it's beautiful, and they think it's strong, and they think it's going to work until they're actually in battle. Once they're in battle, they find out how weak it is. Once they're in battle, they find out that they have no idea how to use it. Once they're in battle, they find that they've never used it before, and the whole thing becomes cumbersome to them. That's why Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness. Sometimes it's just time to man up. Living out the commands and characters of Jesus Christ make it secure and properly used. Jesus gives us the best example, and that's what our kids are going to learn, an example of pursuing righteousness. He gives us a great example of what it looks like when it's fitted properly. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. An expert of the law, that's another way of saying lawyer. Lawyer here is the bad guy. Jesus is the good guy. I know you're not familiar with anything like that, but that's what we're doing today. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a big question. It is perhaps the question. This is why we are all here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If Jesus says, follow me and you'll be condemned to hell, I don't think anybody be here today, right? This is the question we want to know. We want to have an answer to. This is what everyone in history is looking for. What happens after this physical body dies? Do I continue to exist with consciousness? And if so, how? 
the most significant question and subject in existence. That's the question that was just asked. And how does Jesus answer this question? Look at verse 26. What's written in the law? How do you read it? I love that about Jesus. The greatest teacher to ever live, and this is how he answers what is possibly the most important question ever asked. What does the Bible say? And doesn't say anything more. He doesn't add to it. What did we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week? The Word of God is our defense. The Word of God here is Jesus' explanation. He knows more than any creation ever or any person ever. And he says, what does the Bible say? We're trying to answer the question, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it look like to pursue righteousness? Church, for the depth of life, we need not turn to some other philosophy or invention. Again, taking the the example last week of the three Jewish men in Babylon, we need not defend ourselves, nor do we need to explain anything beyond the Word of God. Our defense is the Word. We ignore the Word at our peril, but we study it and apply it to our gain and understanding of God's glory. This is the answer Jesus gives to the greatest question ever asked. What does the Bible say? And now the command and description of the fruit of righteousness, verses 27 to 28. He answered, this is a lawyer answering, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say then in verse 28? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now I realize this command here is said by the lawyer, but it's affirmed by Jesus. You've answered correctly. And here, church, is the pursuit of righteousness to pursue the, glo- the good things, the beautiful things of God, to pursue the character of Christ. This is not the acquisition of righteousness. That's done through Jesus alone. And it's not just doing good things. The pursuit of righteousness is putting your trust and imparted righteousness in action, strengthening, molding your breastplate, because this is what we do in response to the righteousness imparted to us. You've been given the breastplate, says Jesus. Now go out and learn how to use it. I think that's the step we trip up on. You've been given the armor. Go learn how to use it. We show up in the lists with the enemy on the other side ready to tilt the enemy, and we've never used this armor. There's not a, there's not a knight in the world that goes into battle without first testing his armor. You've gained righteousness by your belief in Jesus. Go learn how to use it. Because if you don't learn how to use it, you're just going to get in the way in battle. Romans 13, 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves one another has fulfilled the law. Even Paul agrees with, he talks about, he echoes what Jesus says. The commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. All of these other things that we think of righteous living and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And I like love your neighbors yourself, not do unto your neighbor as you would have them do unto you. I've, I've tried that a million times and apparently I don't think like everybody else and I, I, I trip up all the time with that. Just, just love. Love your neighbor. 
Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. That is, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? The lawyer wanted to pat himself on the back for being nice to a few people. That's what he's looking for. Oh, I'm living. I'm pursuing righteousness. What's he want to do? He wants to set the bar as low as possible and then be praised for reaching it. He also wants Jesus to determine who is my neighbor. Lay it out for me, Jesus. Give me specifics. Who has proven their worth to be my neighbor that I should be righteous towards them? Since we all fail to do this command perfectly, he should have confessed his need for Jesus rather than trying to sit there and justify himself. Church, we are to live in Christ, not just exist with this armor on. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You see, this man needed a rescuer. This man needed a knight to come along. He needed the knight errant protecting travelers. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not knight errants were real, but there was, there was a lot of them in some of that early literature. And that's what they would do. They would take their leave from the king and wander. That's what that means. They would wander, and they would travel, and they would protect, and they would walk with, and they would care for. They would pursue acts of righteousness, quite literally. He needed a knight errant walking along. Well, fortunately for him, here come two men who look like knights. They look like soldiers from the outside. They appear as though they might even have on strong breastplates. Ask yourself if this is you. If your breastplate appears strong, if it appears beautiful, if you're walking down the road towards the injured man, does he look up and see you as a knight coming his way? A priest, verse 31 and 32, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, you would be quite literally drummed out of the order if you were really the knights of antiquity. Through the stories that they make, if you pass up a traveler in need, they wouldn't allow you back into the realm around the table. You'd be stripped. Here's two guys who look like knights, right? A priest and a Levite, two workers in the temple. And they look shiny, and they look strong. But their breastplate is next to worthless. <clears throat> what happens in your life when you test your metal? Now, testing metal has to do with purity and perseverance, but I want to use it looking at the strength of armor. When this righteousness that you have been granted, and you yourself claim, if you believe in Jesus, when that righteousness has been put to the test in your life, what happens? You see, their breastplate, the priest and the Levite, their breastplate is being tested to see what it's made of. And by the way, their breastplate is being tested right now. Not tomorrow, not the next chance, not the next person you come across. No, here, now. Your breastplate may be tested when you leave these doors. First foot you step outside. As soon as you get to your home. On Monday morning when you go to work or if you're going to work on Monday. And your breastplate is being tested. Not tomorrow. 
Not wait for the next chance. What do we say about the belt of truth? Pick it up, put it down, put it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down, take it off, put it down, put it up. Your breastplate is tested here, now, this moment. What's it going to be? And they walk on the other side, dishonorable. Our metal gets tested in our actions. It also gets tested in our very selves. The breastplate protects the heart. How do we strengthen the breastplate? Paul gives us the answer point blank. And if these men would have been listening to it, they would have helped. Philippians chapter 4, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble. We're talking about a lot of this stuff as we're talking about knights, aren't we? Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, that's the knight of the realm. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is preparing the breastplate ready for battle because that's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm thinking about. When I see the injured travel on the side of the road, the first thing that comes to my mind is something that is righteous or noble or beautiful or pure or trustworthy or lovely. Think about such things, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, what? Put into practice. And the God of peace, we're even going to talk about peace when it comes to this armor. The God of peace will be with you. Verses 33 and 35, through 35, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Out of these three, or you could possibly say just out of two, two sections, two camps here, without excuse, and I'm not going to ask you to tell out loud, reflect on your life. Who are you? Who do you want to be? And I, I sincerely hope, it's not a trick question, I sincerely hope the answer is, no, I'm an awful lot like the Samaritan. I'm an awful lot like the knight. The knight errant. By the way, that's what Lancelot became eventually. A knight errant, wandering, protecting. Just for your own information. He was a good knight. And why was the Samaritan able to win the battle when the other two lost the fight? But, and, and that's what they did. They lost the fight. They lost the fight. The fight was there. Their armor was weak. And they lost the fight by walking on. You know what we call people who lose the fight? Losers. That's what you call people who lose, right? Losing an altercation, losing the fight, losing the battle, losing the contest. There's the winner and there's the loser. Because of their lack of, 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 of righteousness, because of their lack of the pursuit of righteousness, because of their lack of using this breastplate, they are the losers, not the winners. How did the Samaritan win? He was prepared. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, pursue these beautiful, wonderful, righteous, noble, trustworthy, truthful things. He was prepared. No matter what, if it would have been a wounded traveler, maybe, it could have been a thousand other things. And that knight was prepared for whatever came. He was out questing. His breastplate was in place. It fit him. It was battle-tested, and he knew he could trust it. It gave him strength. It gave him eyes to see. It gave him ears to hear, and it protected the heart enough to act. Jesus closes this parable with a reminder of the pursuit Luke 10, 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
This question actually turns the original question on its head. The lawyer wanted to know who's my neighbor. He assumed that others had to prove themselves to be his neighbor so that he could respond. Jesus makes it clear that each one of us has a responsibility to be that knight errant. Each one of us has a responsibility to be that, that neighbor, to put this, or this armor of righteousness in practice. I'm telling you, the more you practice, the more you practice, the more you practice. The more you trust it and trust it and trust it. This is a first reminder of the pursuit. Then Jesus point blank tells him to pursue. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him what? Go and do likewise. Go and do. Sometimes we, we, we think we, we have this breastplate of righteousness and we take it out and we shine it and we spit shine it. We get it off. We see our face in it. And we just act so often like that knight that sets it up inside of his room. And what's he get to do? Everybody that comes into his house, he gets to point out that armor. See, I'm a knight right here. You see this armor? See this beautiful breastplate? Doesn't even fit him anymore. Starts out looking like this chiseled, beautiful armor, you know? And he's so out of practice, he kind of walks around like this. See that armor up there? You have no idea how to use that armor. Jesus says, go and do. Because those battles are on their way. Now, he does say, do not perform your acts of righteousness before men. Well, let's not split hairs here. What's he talking about? He means that don't pursue righteousness for the praise of people. He means pursue righteousness because you love Jesus. He means pursue righteousness because Jesus died for you. He means do these beautiful and wonderful things, shoot, not even for salvation, out of gratitude. There's a time when all of us, men and women alike, I think if we're going to profess Jesus, we got to look in the mirror. We got to say, hey, man up. Man up. You've been given a special place. You've been given a special calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. And we are challenged today. Father, you know that I have, I have, uh, I have lost many battles. Lost many battles. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to lose any more battles, Father. I don't want us to lose battles. I want us to see a moment, a time, a, a chance to put our breastplate to the test and know that it can be trusted, to be familiar with it, to be seen as it, to be identified by it. Father, help us for all of these things. Help this challenge. Help us to be those knights, the knight errant, that we would protect those just like us, who are traveling, traveling in this world, traveling in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can stay seated if you want to. This is the theme song for VBS. You can listen to it.